Welcome to the Live Lightly Podcast. Awareness to integration to elevation. Sue and Dan open intimate and complex spaces together, discussing integration from physical, emotional, and spiritual levels. Expect conversations that are honest, expansive, and solution-oriented. Everything from consciousness design to biohacking to socio-political deep dives. Creative works and building a new paradigm in relationship through daily choices. Check out the show notes for more info about Sue and Dan, plus our guests. This week on the Live Lightly podcast, I have the honor of sitting down with Bess Matassa. I worked with Bess for all of last year. She was one of the main editors on Transitory Nature Breaking Binaries, and we developed a creative friendship. She's a phenomenal writer and has written a book on all things Leonine energy, Leo, and also all things Virgo energy, high priestess energy, Virgo, and that's in a 12-book series about each sign in the zodiac. Bess is a professional astrologer, and in the show notes, you can find how to book a session with her and how to purchase all of her books, and she's also the co-author of the Numinous Astro Deck, which is an informational tool to learn about the zodiac and your natal chart. And in this episode, the two of us talk all things astrology 2021 and a bit about the transits for the rest of 2021. So it's a deep dive. You'll probably want to listen to this episode several times. It's packed full of information about things that are buzzy in astrology and things that are um, covered with nuance and depth. Bess is also the narrator for Transitory Nature Audible version, which I was so excited to work with her in that space and have her voice be the sound current for my book. Okay, enjoy this episode and thank you for tuning in this week. to this week's Live Lightly podcast and I'm sitting with Bess Matassa who I worked with all last year and I miss her very much. I know. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet to be back in this virtual virtual space albeit but still sweet. Yes yeah. definitely and we're excited to have her on the podcast because we're going to talk all things astrology for the rest of 2021 and give you a little six-month guide with some of the longer transits happening and what to expect outside of just your Instagram scroll of new moon and full moon. So a little bit more in depth beyond that. (laughs) And we're also going to talk a little bit about her books and the two, you wrote Leo and Virgo inside the 12 Zodiac Guide, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I'm also the co-author of the Numinous Astro Deck, which is a great little resource if you're a first first timer to astrology, first time floating in the cosmos or a more seasoned seasoned stargazer. Um, we can talk about that a little bit too, if, if it comes up. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So I want to first dive in with um, why you wanted to write the Virgo book and why you think... <laughs> Because I totally agree. You said this on one of our calls quickly, so we actually haven't had this conversation yet. But why Virgo's misinterpreted in the Zodiac and a little bit about the process of writing the book and the sign Virgo itself. Oh my God. Well, Sue, you have just highlighted, you've just like lit up, lit up my entire world because there's literally nothing I enjoy talking about more uh, with regard to astrology than about Virgo. <laughs> and I always joke, but it's, I think it's actually really true that my 
some intersection of dharma, karma, my mukti code, you know, read or listeners check out Transitory Nature, Sue's amazing book, because this is all in there. Um, but I really think that my mission here on earth as an astrologer is to rewrite the Virgo narr narrative. Mm -hmm. And so this book was a step toward doing that. And, you know, just to be honest, I don't really have any birth chart stake in the game. I don't have any Virgo planets myself. I'm just like a super fan of Virgo. Um, I do have a lot of planets in my sixth house, which if you're a newbie to astrology, um, the sixth house is a house that's ruled naturally by Virgo. So I do have a little bit of Virgo and flavor in my history. And my father, my late, late father, um, love that man, was a Virgo also. So there is a little bit of Virgo lineage um, in me. But um, really Virgo to me is one of the most complex signs in the Zodiac and one of the most subtle. And I think that this is one of the reasons it's kind of, it resists getting soundbited. And so the sound bites that come out about Virgo and like the memes and like the one-liners and all of this stuff has all, have always just like driven me bonkers. It's always like filing cabinets and anal and like organized and clean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, firstly, I think there's a lot to be said about sort of rewriting um, the narrative around signs being like lists of personality traits, you know, because they're really all energetic currents and they're available to all of us and, you know, functioning in different calibrations and concentrations at different moments of our lives and, you know, as per our birth chart. Um, but then secondly, not even beyond the sort of personality traits, it's really that you know, Virgo to me, if we look at it sort of in the wheel of the year, being like the 12 signs and the order that they appear running from Aries, you know, at the spring equinox or the equinox in the Northern hemisphere that we call the spring equinox all the way through to Pisces at the end, we see Virgo at this really critical juncture and turning point in the Zodiac. It's the sixth sign. It's right before we sort of step into the partnership you know, greater cosmos landscape of Libra and Scorpio and all the way through to Pisces. And so for me, it's always been this sign where it's kind of the, the last moment that we have to ourselves, like unto ourselves in the Zodiac. And so there's this real current of integrity that runs through Virgo. And, you know, it's almost this intricate little locket of a sign. And I think that's where some of the like filing cabinet energy gets like, you know, kind of thrown around because there's an intricacy and a sort of lattice work and a lacing to Virgo. But for me, it's really about this energetic current of what do I contain? What are my inner workings? And then, you know, this buzzword that we hear in wellness circles so often, like alignment, you know, what's an alignment for me? And, you know, Virgo really poses this question in a much more kind of astute, nuanced way than sometimes we just sort of, you know, do these sort of surface treatments of, oh, what's balanced or what's, you know, good for me in this moment or, and Virgo really excavates the inner workings and then says, you know, how can I sort of assess all my innards, you know, make peace with them and then start to step forward in some sort of groove that feels functional. And, you know, also another aspect, and I don't want to get too carried away <laughs> talking about Virgo, but another aspect I really am in love with in this sign is the concept of like seasonality and of a kind of responsiveness and a kind of supplication and responsiveness to external factors that isn't about weakness or powerlessness or just like, okay, fine, you know, doing whatever I'm told, but is really about this intersection between willpower and between the current of larger forces and sort of syncing with that, mm -hmm. which I think is a really 
I don't know, important discussion point for all of astrology, you know, because astrology's had this kind of history as like this out there predictive, like forces that are, you know, the planets are going to move me. And then in our current moment, we've come more into this like manifestation, willpower, I'm going to do it, I'm going to know my chart and then work my chart. And right. like, really, you know, I think the most power and, and um, potentiality for astrology is really at the intersection of those two things. And I think Virgo sits right there. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really powerful to understand, you know, what I have control over in the integration process of sort of this organizational high priestess energy of, oh, I'm so divine, but I'm so earthly mutable, you know, yeah. the, the intersection of those two, which I think is amazing. Um, but one thing that you just previously said about understanding the zodiac signs beyond personality trait, like motherfucking ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> motherfucking ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa, let's talk a little bit more about that and really the power of shaping culture, shaping consciousness, shaping community. Um, beyond personal identity, if we were able to relate to the Zodiac and its profound wisdom beyond personal identity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I get a little out there in my, but as an astrologer, I've just gone farther and farther out into wherever. I don't even know where I am anymore, but, you know, there's this aspect to astrology that sometimes people get really hung up on sort of the techie aspects of it and, you know, the degrees and everything, you know, and this, this sort of science backed astrology, which, you know, I'm not here to like tear down, you know, the underpinnings of that or, or, you know, refute the validity of that as sort of a stance. But I think we lose a lot when we lose the more numinous qualities of astrology that are sort of this grab bag of just like, you know, the same way that we draw a tarot card out of the deck to sit before our chart or a chart and just to sort of see what pops and sparkles and sort of rises to the top. And I think to your point about personality, like, yes, we do have our sort of like the shape of our chart, but we're all on this journey to integrate all 12 of these signs, all of the planetary energies. There's different moments where, you know, it's almost like going to a naturopath or going to somebody where, you know, they mix up a little herbal thing for you. And it's really what I like to do in chart readings too. It's like, I'm, I, I kind of, for the most part, I'm like going off, I'm like off-roading, you know, it's like, I might look at a person's chart that has six planets in Pisces, but all I can see is Capricorn for them right now, or some other kind of offering um, and I think that's where we're able to start to shift and say, okay, this is more than about just the, the meanness of me or the sort of contouring or this sort of like, you know, Aries nameplate necklace, which I wear, but, you know, <laughs> and moving into this kind of like integrative, like contingent available um, selection process of like, what, what do I need in this moment? But also like, what is most needed and like sitting mm. at the at the crux of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a great thing to ask instead of like, how is this transit going to affect me? You know, how is this transit affecting us collectively? And then how do I behave and what to answer what's needed? Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is a very Virgo question. You know, we're all bringing it back I'm to Virgo. Virgo. I'm yeah. Virgo yeah. everywhere. So yeah. Virgo, Virgo everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And raised by two Virgo parents. So Mm -hmm. understand the intricacy <laughs> the innards <laughs> okay can we talk a little bit about retrogrades happening right now and you can give us a little bit of your take on that so I'd love to start with Pluto and Capricorn 
and that's happening from April 27th through October 6th. So quite a good portion of this year. Yeah. So just a little note, I think kind of a side note um, on retrogrades, like, you know, and every astrologer has their thing with retrograde. And, you know, I sort of joke with my fellow astrologer and podcast host, Sandy Citron, sometimes that like, we just like, don't really care about retrograde. <laughs> like we don't, and I don't mean that to say that they're not, you know, they're not important to talk about, but I think that there is something like sort of a caveat, a cosmic caveat is that especially when we're talking about the outer planets and the outer planets being those planets that are sort of, you know, farthest away from us and Pluto and Uranus and uh, Neptune, you know, these, these are planets that spend up to a half a year retrograde. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, 50% of the time they're basically, you know, experiencing a retrograde um, motion. And so, you know, I think just to sort of keep that in consciousness, because there can be this sort of like panicky, like, oh my God, what's retrograde? What's direct? Like, when's the stationing? When's this happening? And, you know, Mercury retrograde can happen up to three, four times a year. And so, you know, these are common occurrences. There's nothing to be frightened about, you know, or panicked about in any way. And, you know, for me, all retrogrades are kind of what I would call like um, after school slumber parties. It's like you go to school with the planet you know, the planet a little bit, you know, you see them in class, you know, see them in the hallways, but then you get like a slumber party with the planet and like secrets are revealed, like new things are shed under cover of the night. Maybe you freeze that planet's bra, you know, at the slumber party. Did you ever do that? Freeze people's bras? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Not too many sleepovers for me, but yeah, totally Um, get it. Like much more intimate internal understanding. Yeah, exactly. And so Pluto, you know, we think of Pluto as this operator that already demands a lot of intensity and intimacy. You know, it's the planet that naturally rules um, Scorpio and, you know, really, so looking at these symbols and, you know, if you're someone, if you're a listener who plays with tarot, you can think about the cards of the major arcana with any transit and sort of like match up the cards of the major arcana. So, you know, for example, Pluto in the tarot is, um, ruled by the judgment card and, or rules the judgment card, sorry. And Capricorn is ruled by the devil. And so just to even like feel into the weight of those words, even if you know nothing about tarot, you know, nothing about astrology, there's a meeting between the devil and judgment, you know, and, and in terms of this retrograde kind of action. And so, you know, for me, this is an energy of the dismantling of, um, where we think source is. And what I mean by that is sort of like around issues of authority or, you know, we all have this sort of relationship to what we think kind of calls the shots like in our lives. And so this intersection between an energy and earthy energy like Capricorn, that's really um, connected to our competence and our ability to sort of like um, you know, become our own authority to a certain degree. And I know this seems sort of paradoxical on the surface of what we were just saying earlier about being at that intersection between, you know, willpower and, um, you know, being taken by larger forces. But, you know, there's something in all of the outer planets, you know, Pluto, Uranus, and Neptune that speaks to our availability to be moved, to let ourselves be moved by life. And so, you know, Pluto retrograde in Capricorn is a time to notice what is sort of like naturally sloughing off in terms of 
systems, you know, in your life and uh, systems of authority systems where you've set up even yourself, you know, as an authority in a certain aspect of your life, that there's a kind of leveling that happens in this energy, not to like cut us down to size or put us in our place, but to really make us available to see ourselves in a different kind of like interconnected sort of network of creating and accessing power, you know, versus the sort of power play energy of I have it or you have it or win or lose or who's got it. And so there's this kind of energy coming forward to move us, you know, and so being available to let those kinds of systems fall away in your life or to let even areas where you think that you're kind of competent or controlling or running the show, you know, not to put yourself in a position of powerlessness that feels frightening in any way, but to recognize that there's a kind of sloughing off of some of that, you know, constrictive energy around that. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think we see that at large uh, politically you know, to the nth degree. And then that's also such a beautiful way that you presented to ask the question of like what you value or how you even sort of hold power over yourself. And perhaps that scaffolding is starting to break down a little bit. Yeah. Or maybe a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. Scaffolding is a great image. You know, I always think of the planet Pluto as sort of, especially as connected to the tarot and the judgment card is almost like this landslide you know, feeling there's this kind of inevitability to the overturn. And we've all had it even at a micro scale in our lives, like when something just isn't really working anymore. And, you know, we can orient ourselves in any way emotionally to the sloughing off of that. But there's a certain like momentum that happens with this planet sometimes where it's like, it's done, baby. Like it's done. It's coming. It's like coming down the mountain, especially with Capricorn and that image of earth and mountainousness and all of that. And, you know, to, to also be like available to access different parts of legacy. Like I think we think about legacy and personal legacy so often mm. in terms of like, what am I leaving here? What did I make? What did I do? You know, I move this thing from here to here. It's very Mars, you know, and Pluto is the higher octave expression of the planet Mars. And so we're not moving stuff with our hand from here to here anymore. We're getting moved. We're letting ourselves be moved. And so I think there's an opportunity too to see like, wow, like what can my emotional legacy be during this mm. time? Like, just affecting other people in the world with like the climate of my, you know, sort of emotional charge that I bring to this situation versus like, what am I going to do? What am I going to make happen? You know? Yeah. I love the word legacy. Definitely been feeling a lot of pull to look at my lineage and be grateful for that and what it gave to me and the ability to create maybe in the lower octave of Mars, but also how am I, um, honoring my lineage like I've had the pull to go see my grandfather and make the plans to do that like really during this transit because I've thought yeah. to myself I want to honor the gravitas or the force that has led to be me yeah, yeah. I love the word gravitas, especially connected to Capricorn. You know, the I always joke that Capricorn is like the gorgeousness of gravity. It's mm -hmm. like, we're stuck here. We're stuck in these bodies. <laughs> it's finite. It's a finite experience, you know, but there can be freedom in that. There can be, you know, and there can be a leaving of residue. There can be an undoing and a re, you know, rewiring of residue, like you're saying, and kind of that excavation of lineage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So I want to look at another outer planet, Neptune. I'm, I'm like just weirdly obsessed with Neptune. So I can't yeah. wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> yeah. So what are the, remind me of the dates. Cause uh, yeah, you've got the crib sheet here. What are the dates from, uh, for the Neptune, Neptune in Pisces <laughs> retrograde June 25th through December 1st. So okay. Neptune Pisces retrograde. 
I'm loving it. I'm yeah. I, I think that it's a little like tantalizing, weird, and addictive, maybe in lots of ways. For me, it's been like, hell yeah, let's get let's get rid of coffee. Let's figure out some like new ways that you're not emotionally addicted to these things. Like I've been really using energy to reevaluate, but I think it's also a big swimmy energy that people can get lost in. So what yeah. do you think? Yeah. And I think this is, you're bringing forward something that's, I think, really important to underline in all of these planetary energies. And, you know, especially these three outer planets, you know, again, Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus are the far outer planets. And I think, you know, I sort of have this theory, I don't know if this is whatever, but that each of us, you know, sort of, you know, based on our astrology, based on life experience, the confluence of, of things that makes us us, that that each of us has kind of one of these three outer planets that we are like, it's a little easier to deal with. And then the other two, you know, we sort of like have this order of operations. And, you know, some people, for example, are much more comfortable in Neptunian energy than they are Plutonian or, you know, Uranian, vice versa. So I think in this conversation about the retrogrades, it can also be interesting just to say like, oh, like what is my relationship to these three planets' energies? Because all of them are moving us in some way. All of them are dissolving, overturning. You know, there are these big currents of sort of soul shifting energy. And, you know, we kind of like go in for one sometimes like a little more or more comfy in one like I'm a super Mars dominated person I'm like I mean it's not comfortable but I'm much more <laughs> wired into Pluto energy you know and it's like fucking burn it down rise again do the thing <laughs> like you know sweat it out and then Neptunian energy scares the shit out of me you know because it's very it's it's the planet that naturally rules um Pisces so we're talking about mutable water. We're talking about very, you know, the ether, everything that exists beyond the sort of egoic body, the contours of the self. And some people like to wait out there, you know, it's like, it's very far out psychedelic, far out, you know, beyond the kind of limits of consciousness or what we perceive to be the limits of consciousness. And there's really like no light switch out there. You know, it's like, we're just sort of feeling around you know, we're maybe feeling within the contours of our body, but sometimes we even that kind of blows out and that's mm -hmm. dissolved. And it's really, you know, an energy of like total unknowingness, you know, doubling down of Neptune in Pisces. And so, you know, in terms of orienting us toward change where Pluto is maybe a little bit more like, all right, get ready for the lands. Here we go. You know, let's do it. You know, Neptune is like, you know, can you slip out the back door on some things of your life? Can you just like, oh, she was here. And then, nope, I don't know. I don't know where that went. Like, I'm always like, I'm just going to bounce and no one's even going to see. I'm not even going to say bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah almost absolutely everything I ever do. Like, yeah. It's total it's ghosting. I only need to tell the universe that and I'm out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, it's like ghosting. It's total ghosting energy, you know, but it's also like this feeling that Pisces really, has to to share with us and to impart with us, you know, and I'm, I'm using Pisces and Neptune sort of interchangeably, but it's a very boundaryless energy. So these two really, you know, kind of dissolve the, the boundary between planet and sign, you know, but it's also like this incredible energy that flies in the face of the linearity of quote, quote unquote healing, you know, like you should be done, get over it. Why is this thing still here? Like, you know, you need to move on, like all of that stuff. And Pisces and Neptune come in and say, that's not the deal at all here. We're moving with, we're moving alongside, we're moving in zigzags. There's nothing that's ever finished. There is no closure in this life. Like maybe there's closure in the physical vessel of your body, but maybe not, you know, who knows? I mean, then you just sort of compost into the dirt, but mm -hmm. it's, 
you know, it's an energy and it's a time I think for really, yeah, checking in with your relationship to the harshness of linearity in your life. You know, where is there like a through line that you're sort of establishing for yourself or a directionality or a positioning of you? You know, I think about your book and the the age, you know, when you talk about the binary of aging, I think it's in the sick well, you know, chapter um, of transitory nature and this idea that um, this is the energy that opens us up and a retrograde that opens us up to really revising some of those stories that we tell ourselves about where we should be right now, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, totally. That's so helpful, right? And that's happening really until early December. So it's like, how can I use the rest of the summer to explore boundarylessness and figure out, am I okay if this weird shit that happens to me over and over again comes up again? You know, can I handle it with an open heart and open yeah. eyes instead of like, shit, why is this happening again? Yeah. I had a friend over the other night and, you know, we were talking about relationships stuff and, you know, romantic relationships specifically, although it doesn't need to be confined to this. <laughs> we just had like a funny moment where, you know, she was like talking about her shit that she's told me about 5,000 times. And I was talking about my shit <laughs> that I told her about 5,000 times. We just had this like funny moment where we were like, do you think we're going to like get out of this alive? Like, do you think this is going to be? And we were like, no, probably not. Like, you know, and then it just becomes like the wiggliness of sort of like being or trying to sort of breathe out or breathe into or sort of be in the dynamics of that space. And, mm -hmm. you know, once we get off the track of like over, fix, you know, heal, sort the thing out, you know? And so, yeah, I think this is a really powerful time to sort of be like, yeah, maybe I'm not, Maybe I'm, maybe this is, I'm taking this to the grave, like, and what, you know, not to be like an asshole, you know, or, or intense about it, but what, what, it, what would it be like if you just sort of were like, okay, maybe this is not going to get sorted this lifetime. Where, where does that leave me? Where am I now? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like lots of uh, resolution floating to the surface. Maybe that was undetectable previously. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And sort of staying with the Piscean energy, we've had a lot of Jupiter and Pisces this year, and it's continuing there in retrograde until October 18th. So yeah. I have one woman in session with me right now that has Jupiter and Pisces, and it's been awesome to watch her juxtaposition lots of other people that I'm working with right now because she's like crushing <laughs> Yeah, and like every call, she's like, "I'm doing great. Here's what's <laughs> up." <laughs> and I can always yeah. sort of count on her during this time to be really in alignment, for lack of a better word, at this moment. But she is, and it's really beautiful to watch. You know. Yeah. So, what are you thinking about Jupiter and Pisces? Yeah, I mean, Jupiter is a funny one. For years, I kind of, you know, and it's always just it can always be instructive to sort of tell if you're studying astrology or working with your chart. It's like, you know, there's certain like little frenzies that you're always like, oh yeah, like Pluto or oh yeah, this one. And then certain things that you just like are like, meh, or like, you know, sort of don't deal with for years. And I feel like I was a latecomer to the Jupiter party. You know, I was always just sort of looking at the hard stuff and, you know, the hard edges and people's charts and like Saturn and Pluto. And, you know, I was just like, Jupiter was like a throwaway to me, which is, you know, does a grave disservice to the energy of this planet because, you know, Jupiter just in general, and I think in Pisces even more so because it's mutable energy, you know, Jupiter is part of our soul school where we learn how to cultivate faith. You know, we learn how to sort of step off the edge of something and be like, 
you know, that old Irish adage of like the rose road will rise to meet you or whatever your, you know, whatever your kind of phrase is for the kind of ground coming in underneath the second that the foot steps off, you know, steps off. And in that sense, it has a sort of certain kinship with Uranus too, another planet that's really connected to groundlessness, you know, but with Jupiter and Pisces, I think it's like, I don't want to use like the Obama memoir title, but it's kind of like the audacity of hope. It's like, do you dare? Like, do you dare to like lean into, you know, a little bit of sweetness or the possibility? Like, what is your relationship to hoping? Like, or like hoping for the best possible outcome of something. And that's not, this is not to get into like manifestation, you know, BS that's, you know, about perpetuating, you know, any kind of, um, you know, any kind of misuse of privilege or positionality or anything like that. But there's something to explore, I think, in each of us around the quality of wishing, you know, and, and just, you know, where does that live for you and wishing even way beyond because I think sometimes we start to wish and then we start to immediately action plan, and we're going to get it and how we can get it, and, mm-hmm. you know, like this or kind how of we're like, not going to get it. Yeah, or how we're not yeah. going to get it. Yeah, it's just, it becomes this very linear thing. And, you know, Jupiter and Pisces is like, what would just sort of the climate and the atmosphere of your existence be if there was like a space for something really sweet here or something really, you know, kind of like dreamy and nice, mm. you know, dare I say the word like nice, I don't know what that even means. But like, you know, I think especially mm. in like spiritual and wellness, you know, we're all about like the work doing the work, not, you know, like 24 seven, like I'm in it, I'm in my shit, I'm in my shit. And, you know, that can become, you know, a form of bypass sometimes too, if we're like constantly sort of showing other people like how tough it is. And we all have different orientations to what toughness looks like, but, Mm -hmm. you know, this is an interesting transit for considering, you know, where, where could maybe like, there could be like a little bit of a quality of holding the sparkle of things and like what that would do, you know, around the other stuff. And it's not to, you know, say that the other stuff doesn't exist or there isn't unpleasant or, you know, different flavors of experience that might be a little friskier, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a question to, mm-hmm. to ask maybe during this time. Yeah. I love that so much. This, I mean, it's kind of a spiritual practice of mine that I spend, you know, consecutive minutes a day in the daydream space where I'm not really confined by my current reality of exactly what you just said, how I'm going to do, how I'm going to get there, how I'm going to plan it, how I'm going to pay for it, how I'm going to drive there, whatever it may be. But actually, what do I want my life to look like in 18 months? Yeah. You know, like asking that a lot so that there is almost, I'm making space for a new identity to birth that I really don't have in my small mind. That's kind of the logistics mind, right? I loved when you said dreaming, sparkle you know you're actually reprogramming neurolinguistically almost you're telling yourself that something totally different is possible for you yeah and it's like an atmospheric practice like I've been really thinking about this quality and it happens in Jupiter the expanse of Jupiter it also happens in the mutable signs and especially the end of the line signs you know Pisces being the last sign of the zodiac it's just sort of hanging in the air you know and what does it mean to sort of create or participate in an atmosphere around things of your life, you know, in your life. And this, you know, necessitates us backing out of the room a little bit, like becoming part of the wallpaper, you know, it's very Virgo Pisces axis too, sort of taking our place, or I don't want to say knowing our place, but yeah, knowing like where if, if you could just back out of the room a little bit and just hold the quality of hope or atmospheric aspiration, you know, that's not about 
this, you know, the analytical or the mojo aspect of it, or, you know, these other kind of muscly aspects. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then last retrograde this year is Saturday. Well, the Mercury, but I'm not going to touch that because that's just everywhere. But yeah. We, no. we don't need to touch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leave that one aside. Yeah. Um, Saturn and Aquarius, which has been a large portion of the year totally. And then was it just last year, the grand conjunction when that was just everywhere, mm-hmm. Saturn moving into yeah. Aquarius. Um, I've definitely seen a huge shift in my discipline and my work ethic in positive ways, you know, so I'm curious to hear what you have to say about Saturn Aquarius through October 10th. Yeah. So Saturn and Aquarius, I think, you know, firstly, it can be interesting to consider that the ancient rulership before Uranus, or I guess the kids like to say Uranus now, I can't, I can't, (laughs) I don't know. I'm too old for that. I got to say Uranus. I don't know. But, um, the the traditional or the ancient rulership of Aquarius pre-discovery of Uranus was Saturn, you know? And mm-hmm. so there's already this interesting relationship um, between Saturn and Aquarius. And it's where we get kind of this sometimes seemingly paradoxical energy in Aquarius, I think, where there's, you know, everybody talks about it, this is total renegade, you know, out there, overturn this, you know, overthrow the system, all this stuff. And, and yet it's a fixed energy, it's a fixed sign. And so it stabilizes, it secures, it sort of grounds down. And so there's this kind of like, you know, stabilizing, overturning, stabilizing, overturning energy that happens in Aquarius. And I think for me, it's like, it's less about this kind of like, again, this personality-based interpretation of Aquarius or Aquarians as like renegade or, you know, maverick or here to like, you know, shake shit up or any of this and more about, creating space and spaciousness around, you know, around something in our lives and the kind of expanse that then we get to when we get to the, you know, the final sign of Pisces, the full expanse of things, but we're starting to sort of break through and sort of create that or carve out that space in Aquarius. And so, you know, Saturn and Aquarius to me, you know, this retrograde period is really connected to the idea of compartmentalizing it feels almost like the bento box you know those little like Mm -hmm. bento boxes of food is like breaking down like the bento box is breaking down and so you know it's really like looking at whoa like how i do one thing is actually how i do everything like and there isn't and not to have it be like an issue of like boundaries or you know just let go of all your boundaries or anything like that it's it's quite the in some ways i think it's a little bit the opposite because once you sort of harness like, oh, wow, like the way I'm coming to eat this meal or the way I'm calling this person or the way I'm, you know, this is, it's part of everything. There's like an undercurrent, you know, charge that's connected to every, all my work in the world, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think that there's some sweet questions maybe to ask ourselves around, you know, and of course we have to bring different parts of ourselves forward, maybe in different situations and kind of turn the knobs a little bit to sort of, you know, get through the pinball machine of life or whatever. But, you know, to a certain extent, this transit is asking us, I think, to, um, to consider where that's not really of service anymore, you know, or doesn't really, you know, sort of this like, you know, I'm going to like suck in my stomach to go through this corridor, and then I'm going to plump up and over here and this kind of like, it's almost like an exhaustion of the energetic body that's happening with all this shape shifting. And, you know, Aquarius says, how can you keep a certain shape to a certain degree, but have it be also like an authentic, you know, like a shape that actually is 
you know, the right shape for you right now. And so the Saturn Aquarius, I think, yeah, it can be a fun time to sort of play with that and the energy that you bring that might be, you know, connected to sort of tapping into a through thread or a current that you could bring, you know, into every situation with you and, mm-hmm. and what that might be. Yeah. So that sort of authenticity of shape is lends itself to the fixed energy. Yeah. 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 And the, and the Leo end of the axis, you know, if we think about each of the astrological signs is paired up with another, you know, so you have six pairs. And so we're always equilibrating on that axis. So when we talk about Aquarius, we can't not think of Leo, or when we're talking about Pisces, we can't not think of Virgo and like where we sort of are on that continuum, Mm -hmm. you know, and Leo comes really heart centrically forward and is like, I am going to maintain my shape, you know, no matter what, like, you know, I've been having a lot of struggles. It's interesting to, to talk about this, like, you know, thinking about my own chart, my natal moon is very, very ignited, super intense positioned, or I shouldn't say intense. It's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very saturated, you know, saturated sensation of a moon in Leo and Saturn is directly opposing my moon in Leo now. And it's just been this like feeling of like, okay, like, you know, where are you on that continuum? Are you a person who's like person who's super cogent and comes in like 100% of themselves in like every single situation. And it actually, maybe you're being asked to bento box yourself a little more perhaps, or like, you know, understand your audience or understand like the energy of the moment. Or are you somebody that maybe tends to be a little shapeshiftier on the other end of that current? And where could you sort of become cogent and sort of draw yourself more to yourself, you know, in various situations, you know, so always equilibrating along that Leo Aquarius axis. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's Dan has so much Leo and Aquarius, which is really interesting because he doesn't really show up as Leo very much out in the world, only when we're in sort of our private life. And he's like, no, like, this is the boundary, bro. yeah like in our relationship then we're out in the world he's way more Aquarius energy which I never Mm. really put that together but you also wrote the Leo book in I I know (laughs) I bought it for Dan and the first page says you're the glitter kitten you're the glitter kitten yeah (laughs) I couldn't not do Virgo I feel like my both of my orientations to these books were very emblematic of the science energy like I wanted to do Virgo to like serve at the altar of Virgo and rewrite the narrative and like help make it more easeful for them. And like that whole, you know, like mm-hmm. the whole, like show up in devotion to the Virgo cause. But then Leo, my moon in Leo was like, nobody else can write the Leo book. I'm going to write the Leo book. Like mm-hmm. I have to write in my voice. Like it was very like kind of, you know, one expression of Leonine energy. Um, so it's, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, there's infinite play in the Zodiac, but there's so many ways to play you know you can play along the polarities you can play along the signs that we consider to be semi-sextile or you know commonly known as cusp signs so you can look at like mm. what does it look like for one science energy to kind of bleed into the next or this kind of call and response that happens and leo and virgo sit right next to each other on the zodiac so it's a different mm-hmm. you know kind of relationship mm-hmm. i feel like they both also have the kernel of devotion they show it differently yeah. but it's like a core 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 value which i love Yeah. There's like a little nugget. There's a little, you know, on Leo, maybe it's like a heart tattoo on your arm, you know, with like mom (laughs) in it or whatever, or me in it. And then in, you know, in Virgo, there's like the heart shaped locket, you know, it gets a little bit more intricate. It gets a little bit more inwardly facing in Virgo, but there's still that sense of like a really deep, deep, being deeply steeped in the self and what the self can do and the limits of the self. And Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So I definitely want to talk about Leo season. We'll get there in a second. I just want to finish cancer season since we're in it. And then we do have uh, new moon cancer on Friday and this podcast will drop on Thursday. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I just want to talk about like new moon cancer energy at the tail end of cancer season, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, I think one thing that cancer season and, you know, this year specifically, I think too, can sort of bring forward and this new moon kind of um, in some ways leading us out or leading us into this final, you know, the final stages of cancer season, you know, there's an element of cancer that is really concerned, I think, with like incubation that we don't always talk about that often. You know, we get really cooked caught up in like the cookie baking cancer or (laughs) mom or, you know, whatever. And this Mm -hmm. this is no problem, you know, but there's all kinds of birthing energy in this world and, you know, not to, not to marginalize, you know, the physical births that happen, but, you know, there's a sense in this new moon, I think of like the gestation, it's almost like the kind of secret, like pile that you're sitting on right now. You know, what is your pile? Maybe that's kind of a gross image, but like, what is your egg? You know, (laughs) like, what is that little, you know, and it's, I think it's connected to Jupiter and Pisces too, you know, another water sign energy, you know, that kind of quality of hope. And it's like, you know, what, where is that edge? You know, once we get into Leo season, it's all this kind of like, it's heat, it's more exposure, you know, and what does that mean to sort of have a little something for yourself, you know, in that process or kind of keep a little, keep a little secret. And not to say that there's a stifling in that process, but just like in that process of like incubating before gestating and whatever it is, like, what do you sort of, you know, it's kind of like the cat who swallowed the canary. Like, what have you sort of got in the little space inside your energy body right now? That's just for you, maybe, you know, and that you can hold a little bit, even as you sort of step into, you know, whatever your practices around new moons, a lot of people are like, you know, intentions and, you know, it can be interesting to, to think about where you are in the lunar cycle too. Like, are you a person who really, you know, kind of thrives in the exposure, you know, period of the full moon and that real fat juiciness. Are you a person who kind of like thrives in that sort of darker edge, you know, coming into the new moon? You know, I always find the new moon like a a pretty challenging time just for me, you know, personally, because there's, there isn't, there's a sense of just being with like a little seed of something, a little glimmer, you know, and again, not sort of jumping the gun and going, you know, whole hog, like full force down the runway, you know, like with all your manifestations and all your plans and all of this. And so it's kind of, yeah, how can you like sit on your little egg pile right now a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very, very Cancerian of just like, how do I feel happy, safe, loved, but I'm the only one that's holding this energy. I'm the only one that's seeing this energy. It's actually sort of igniting just me. You know, I, yeah. I don't need to have this like huge, awesome, powerful project or vision or just yet. But I think the gestation period is a great way to describe it, right? Just using your words of like, what an amazing phase that sometimes gets, un- it's, it's a quiet phase. So it doesn't yeah. really get a lot of time, love, attention, focus, or excitement almost. You know what I mean? That's funny yeah. that you said sitting on your pile. I've literally been thinking that like, okay, 12 months, I got to rebuild. I got to rebuild the foundation. <laughs> this is me talking to myself in my head for the last like couple of days, you know, like rebuild the prana, fill, fill back up the reservoirs, you know, that type of an internal quietness. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of build, you know, it's like, it's interesting that cancer is a cardinal sign, you know, because, you know, we can, 
divide the 12 signs into cardinal, fixed, and mutable energy. And cardinal are usually sort of the initiatory um, energies that initiate a, a new season and then fixed stabilizes. It's the fullness of the season, the center month of the season, and then mutable energy falls away, leads us to the next season. It's all about dissolving and adapting, you know, and sometimes we think like, oh, how is, can you know, cancer and cardinal, like water cardinal, but it's like, it's this build. It's this like really kind of magnetic build of energy internally, you know, that then just sort of like naturally sort of spills over. And then the, the, you know, the dam breaks or whatever, you know, the images of the water that comes kind of rushing out. But first there's this internal build and this quality of like filling the reserve or filling, filling up, you know, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's, I feel like alongside Taurus, um, it's just a different kind of energy, but it does sort of conjure images to me of sort of like, um, you know, almost like, um, like injecting those cake icing tubes, you know, where you like mm -hmm. squeeze into the, you know, like, or squeezing something into a, to fill up something that's like an empty, I don't know what the image is right now, but like, yeah, yeah. How are you just like filling up and like, not filling up of like, you know, oh, self-care and like, you know, treat yourself and how do you fill up when you're depleted, but like filling up, like fierce filling, like a kind of like, ooh, like a holding of this energy, you know, that's then going to sort of just naturally sort of spill from your orifices. That's a gross image, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. So, you know, something along the lines of, you know, for a new moon of how am I actually quietly privately building my own reserves and that doesn't have to be you know anything that you put in public it's literally just validated by you yeah totally mm -hmm. very cool okay I mean I thought we'd have a little more time but it always sort of happens that way <laughs> you know so let's maybe talk Leo book Leo energy heading into Leo season and then we'll yeah. just I'll just pick a few transits Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, obviously I love the Leo energy. My partner's a Leo all over his chart. I just find it so structure filled, so heart centered, so giving, loyal. I mean, to me, it's like deep, deep, deep love, you know? So when you see it sort of painted commercially as like, oh, take the selfie and all this kind of stuff, I really just don't see it as that at all. You know, I really see yeah. it as like, like, of course, maybe a little bit of praise and stroking needs to happen, but that's for every, everyone needs to feel that reassurance out in the world that they're in the right place at the right time. But there's something about leaning energy that is in the right place at the right time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a quality and, you know, maybe I'm a little too close to the sun on this one, you know, with my own moon and Leo, but there's a quality, I think, when we start to pan out a little bit, you know, and it, it can be really instructive and it's something to play with, you know, if you're studying astrology or looking at your own chart, like what is sort of the stereotype or the sort of overcultural, you know, soundbite for this sign? And then like what beats beneath that? And so it's like if we look about or if we look at this sort of the shorthand that we sometimes get for Leo energy as like performative or, you know, this sort of like self-centric sort of sparkle of like going out, you know, your strut, your, you know, your kind of like quality of you in the world. And, you know, it's, if you look at people who are sort of like charged through with Leo in their chart, you know, we're not talking about the energy of like, you can't like look at someone's chart and know if they're like extroverted or introverted, or they're going to be a performer. Like it's, it's, it's about so much things that are 
currents of energy that are so much more expansive and like magical than that, than sort of like, you know, kind of reducing us to, you know, how they're, how these currents are going to sort of show up in, you know, a vocation or a situation or, and so I think when we look at Leo energy, there's an opportunity for all of us, you know, and during Leo season, you know, as we go through the sun transiting each sign, we have this like smorgasbord of celestial offerings and we can sort of try them on, you know, we can, regardless of our chart say, okay, like where, where am I with this archetype right now? And for me, the energy of Leo and Leo season is really about the quality of beholding. And when we think about beholding something, you know, we think about a quality, um, it might be in Eastern body, Western mind, I think that book, I think I think that's where I remember there being a really beautiful description of the quality of beholding, and I think the author is talking about watching, um, you know, your your daughter or you know someone you love, whatever, as like a teenager coming down the steps before going to like a prom, you know, and mm-hmm. and the quality of sort of just receiving the person. It doesn't need to be that you know situation or that gendered or anything, but you know, like how do you kind of like receive beauty in the world or receive, um, you know, receive your own, behold yourself, you know, and, and that this is a quality of not analysis, not judgment, not expectation. It's just sort of the wideness of the fixed energy of, of Leo, you know, Leo's fire and being like, okay, like, how can I just sort of almost create the setting for this thing to come through and I'm going to watch it in love. And then it's going to turn and it's going to look at me in love. And there's going to be this sort of like mutual interception of like adoration. It's like a pet little like pet fest, you know, where you like reach out your paw and you pet it, you pet the leaf and the leaf's like, woo, love that touch. You know, and then the leaf's like, you know, kind of like bends a little bit into your hand. I mean, that's a weird example, but like (laughs) petting like an actual animal or, you know, whatever it is, it's like the quality of Leo season asks us to reach out and touch and come directly, bring our presence directly to life, like without a lot of arm armature around us. And, mm. you know, that's not to say that we all don't have wiring around what boundaries are appropriate and all, you know, it's not just like, well, just be free, like open your heart to whomever, you know, in whatever situation, but how can you close the gap just a little bit? you know, between yourself and the world, going first to sort of put your hand on something and then noticing that you're beholding that thing or that energy of that person. And then they're beating back into your hand, you know, they've got a heartbeat too. So I think that can be a, um, you know, an interesting practice to play with during this time of year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think with uh, sort of doubling back with the boundaries comment is that Leo is such a fierce love it's so intense that it, it just like, you know, you don't really have a choice if that makes sense. (laughs) That's, that's a good reminder actually in my current, you know, partnership, uh, I won't say struggles, creative challenges. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It can be just like loves, 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 you know, sometimes even with Dan, I'm like, dude, I don't need anything. Like I'm good. Like you don't have to keep asking. (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know and I don't have to say that in a rude way but sometimes I do because I just keep keep like giving love giving love giving love in such an intense way it's not a soft way like a water sign it's an intense way yeah yeah and that's funny to think about that font too of fire that font or fount or whatever it's like it's just sort of endlessly kind of cycling out it's cycling out and it's like it's almost like not that leo energy can't burn out but it just it's the eternal you know it's the eternal flame it's very tough and so it it really come becomes about 
you know, how also am I like beholding my own, you know, like, like coming closer, sort of closing the gap, but also recognizing that there is at the same time that you're closing the gap, you're also recognizing that the other thing has a separate heartbeat, has a separate presence, has like a separate, you know, kind of construction and being able to be available for a little bit of that kind of in breath around the thing, you know, too, instead of just blowing the whole house down with the force of your hot love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I think it's also awesome to give so much love back to either Leo sun or Leo moon, you know, because they're like, oh, duh, this is what I'm giving all the time. You know, yeah. it's like this weird little recognition almost where they're like, of course I should say yes to that. I always am giving. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's do a quick little overview. It doesn't have to be too quick. I don't mean to rush us at all. Um, for the rest of 2021, that might be really helpful. So I think we just covered Leo season. So I'm going to go right. Well, actually, I was curious what you thought about this. The Grand Air Trine that's happening in um, July between Venus, Saturn, North Node and Venus, Libra, Saturn, Aquarius, North Node, Gemini. Because I love mm -hmm. looking at grand trines. So mm -hmm. yeah. especially if they're in winter water, I'm always like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, for listeners who might be not as familiar with the aspects, uh, you know, the aspects in astrology are just when we're talking about a trine or a square or a semi-sextile or all these like jazzy words. This is just like basically those telephone lines of how planets and different signs communicate to one another. And if you look at your birth chart, you know, you'll see all those crisscross lines and those are the, that's what we're talking about. They're just aspects. So they're just the ways in which, you know, different planets and different signs are talking and, you know, supporting one another, challenging one another, you know, opening the dialogue. And, you know, a lot of astrologers will look at um, those relationships by degree, you know, so sometimes you'll get things that are what we call uh, out of sign. So you might have like, a, you know, a trine and things that aren't, you know, all air, or all earth, what have you. But I think for, you know, the purposes of just sort of like, I don't really read, I don't really read aspects, honestly, like that. And so I think it can be like a good sort of side note to know that like, you don't have to lose your shit trying to figure out the mathematical degrees of things if you're starting to study astrology or even really think about whether something's in a trine or a square. You just have to really steep your, you're invited to steep yourself in the knowledge of the 12 signs. And then when things come into aspect, you can just think, oh, like what would those three signs do at a party together or, you know, hanging out? Like what, who would bring forward this? Who would bring forward that? So it just becomes about you really understanding the archetypes more than it it does about like having to kind of create, put this other overlay of language, you know? And so when we're talking about the grand trine and air, we're talking about, you know, Libra, Gemini and Aquarius having a conversation together, you know, basically. And, you know, I think for me, something that sometimes gets a little lost in the air signs and to have um, the air signs now in, in conversation through um, planets, world two planets that have a little bit of an earthier aspect, Saturn and Venus, you know, has that kind of earth, side through Taurus, through the rulership of Taurus, you know, I think sometimes we sort of like lose the body in air energy, or we think like, oh, it's all intellectual, it's cerebral, you know, and I think that there's, you know, there's a certain truth to it, it is the realm of the mind, but I think we sometimes forget that what air signs are here to do is like 
literally just like walk outside and see what air does. Like, you know, it like moves around, it like picks things up, puts them over there. <laughs> like, you know, it sort of invigorates your space. If you want to open a window, you know, right, right now I have the window closed because the New York city streets are incredibly loud and you know, the, the internal air is coming closer and closer to me and sort of binding me in. But like the second that we sort of change, it's this like switch that we can flip to like recalibrate, recirculate, and, you know, open ourselves up to um, change, basically, you know, not that all signs don't have relationships to change, you know, but thinking about these three energies, it's like, you know, tapping in even with your um, kind of relationship right now to the currents of your life, you know, and not to be too abstract and not specifically talking about Saturn, Venus, and the North Node. But I think just like checking in with these three energies of like, where are you in that process of sort of letting in to let circulate, you know, is it set that you're ready for something in your life to kind of like, you know, it's almost like this grand trine, I picture like an object being left out in a field or left out in the street. It's like, if you live in a really busy city area, you know, like if you left an object on a bench, you know, and then going back to check on it, like two weeks from then and seeing like, if anyone, did anybody take it? Did, did somebody like, you know, mark it up Does someone like, you know, like that feeling of like, letting alone to like let life participate in the process of of your own sort of changes and unfolding and so i think the the kind of broader energy around that trying can be like okay like where am i letting in you know where am i able to kind of like let like literally open a window in this situation or leave this thing that maybe i've just grappled with from every angle and mental and this and this and this and this just like leave it out to kind of weatherize it a little bit, which really speaks to the energy of Saturn, you know, a little bit the energy of North Node too, this kind of aspirational soul unfolding that's really, you know, in many ways beyond beyond our ability to sort of do on the ground. And then that Venus, like that Venus dilation, that Venus like opening the aperture to, to let in, you know, so it's like, you know, get some air in this room. It's like literally like throwing back the sash, throwing up the, you know, throwing up the throwing up the window sounds gross, but uh, yeah, just sort of like figuring out where there can be a little bit of aeration or a little bit of letting in of another current into a situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what a beautiful way to look at it as opposed to, you know, sort of fear of adaptability or that change is going to create an issue within you of like, I'm actually just going to make space for this change during this transit. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen with this much wind flowing around. Right. It's like, yeah. whatever I'm going to leave it on the street to be altered. Can I like leave it a little plate of snacks, you know, beside it and be like, you're okay. You know, <laughs> leave a little plate of cookies, you know, and yeah, let, let life do unto it what it's, what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. So in Libra season, we have Mars trying Jupiter, Mars in Libra and Jupiter in Aquarius. So I'm on the wind tangent here, which I think is pretty interesting that these are all the ones I circled, which is cool. Yeah. On the wind, do you say on the wind tangent? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so how, how to sort of cope with Mars trying Jupiter if we're both in wind signs and this is early October. Yeah. I love that you're calling them wind signs. I think I want to start, I, I wanted to oh. like transition from calling them air signs <laughs> to wind signs. It's much more, it actually, it feels much more evocative and much more emblematic, you know, of the, cause air can feel so highly abstract, but wind, I mean, wind's abstract too, but it's, it's also very, tan- you know, we feel, That's we can funny. Like, feel this. I realize kinds. I was doing that, <laughs> yeah. but I just feel yeah. like whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> yeah. Whoosh. 
Yeah, Mars and Jupiter, um, you know, in the, in, you know, having a, again, a trine, just sort of a, a relationship if we're talking about element or just by signs, you know, a trine happens when we have two um, signs of the same element coming together. So we've got Libra in wind and Aquarius in wind. And so, you know, it's really, you know, to me, that, that kind of aspect that's going to be coming through is really about, um, you know, kind of like a this is going to sound strange, but it's kind of like, where would you be if, and this isn't to say like, I don't know, there's, there's such an occurrent in Libra energy of like cause and effect, like understanding, okay, I'm going to do this. And then that's going to lead to this. It's, it's almost like this, like rubric or like that, um, Rue Goldberg or one of those like science sets where you're like, oh, I'm going to set this off. And then I know that it's going to go there. It's going to go there. It's going to affect this person, blah, blah, blah. And in Aquarius, we have a certain concept but we don't have that sort of procedural sort of cardinal rollout that we get in Libra. So it's almost like, um, like how could you be in relationship with like the ripple effects of some action you're going to take or some choice you're going to make that you have like no clue, like where do you sort of get mired in like thinking about, okay, this is going to be get this and then it's going to go here. And then we're going to, you know, and that's not to say that you have to like live in this space of like being a complete sociopath where you're like, it doesn't matter, do whatever I want. Like, you know, who knows the effects like totally out there, but there is a certain energy. I think that sometimes we get into where we're like really, um, yeah, we're kind of strategizing in a certain way around, you know, actions taken or like the next right move or, you know, and Libra has a funny energy around that. And it really connects in the tarot to the justice card. And, you know, it, it asks us to really step out of this kind of punitive aspect or sort of balancing aspect in this more rigid way. And just to say like, okay, just what's the next right move right now for me right now? Okay. I see the reality, you know, maybe I can, you know, fantasize about a couple of possible effects. And then just we move forward, you know, and I think Jupiter, the Jupiter aspect in Aquarius really bolsters that just like, okay, we take the next right move where we don't really understand the ripples onward, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And to be able to just adapt to the ripples, that's, that trying is going to help you do that too. So how do I set it in motion and then adapt? <laughs> yeah. It makes me think yeah. of, um, again, another chapter from transitory nature. I think where you're talking about, I think you're talking about the three types of karma you know, and how it's like, we understand, you know, our condition or like our conditioning, our situation, whatever we make a move. And then we also adapt to the feedback from that move. You know, we have to sort of live in the current of that and it doesn't need to be punitive, but it's just, okay. We made the move. Now here's the reverb. Here we are. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about what, well, one, I want to know what you're writing now, but oh, yeah. two, I want to talk a little bit about the numinous cosmic year. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the numinous cosmic year, <laughs> very exciting. I think I don't have the exact dates now for when it's going to come out in the U S I think the UK edition will be out um, early September and hopefully the U S edition soon thereafter. Um, yeah. So not, you know, check your Amazon or your, you know, whatever, whatever your source for, for finding books in the world is, it shouldn't be solely pushing, you know, Amazon, but, um, 
But yeah, the Numinous um, Cosmic Year is, it's a guide for 2022, an astrological guide. So it's a month by month guide that talks about all the upcoming transits. Um, it also includes like little horoscopes for each sign for each month and kind of intention setting. Um, has a little bit of sensory detail around the kind of feeling tone and the feeling of each month um, too. Things to sort of play with in terms of color, in terms of scent, um, sort of in your daily world. And, you know, what I've really loved about it, and it's, you know, it's a collaboration with the Numinous, um, you know, the mystical, longtime mystical um, platform um, that was spearheaded by Ruby Warrington. And what I really love about the guide is that it sort of balances this um, transit time specific, what's happening right now in 2022 energy with a more kind of evergreen um, elemental energy of just like, what is the feeling tone? What is the kind of climate that happens in July during cancer season or, you know, in August during the bulk of Leo season? And so it offers these evergreen aspects too, to kind of soothe some of the sensations sometimes that we get in astrology where we're like, oh shit, what day is it? What's the aspect that's happening? What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? And this kind of like tweaky and gives you a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And gives you a little bit more of sort of an umbrella kind of feeling of each season too. So I'm really excited for that to come out soon. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. What has it been like looking forward into 2022? Probably like <laughs> oh. over the Astro 21 then. Well, it's funny because, you know, just the process of writing a book, I actually had to write and deliver the manuscript in November of last year. And so I was, you know, in still like the thick of quarantine in New York um, at the end of 2020, writing about 2022, uh, which was like a trip. It was a trip, oh, yeah. but I think it, you know, I think it necessitated, um, a good deal of sort of buoyancy and breath in the process of just sort of like receiving, you know, big feeling tones and big energetic inv invitations with, with these energies and, you know, a certain panned out perspective. I think we can get really mired in the weeds sometimes with astrology because it's, you know, it presents all these seemingly complicated, you know, but it, again, for me, and it's the way I teach astrology, it's the way that I practice astrology for me, you know, not to be overly reductive, but it really is about the 12 sign archetypes and literally everything balloons out from there. It's like, if you really steep yourselves in the energies of each of those 12 signs, you come to understand the planets that rule them. You come to understand the houses that have a connection to them. You come to understand how they communicate with one another. So I think it was, it was really important for me as a writer and astrologer to be in that practice while I was sort of projecting, you know, a year and a half down the line into these energies of, uh, you know, as of yet unknown, unknown time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really valuable to understand, you know, what parts of this archetype are present in me around me and can I see them in other people and other systems, right? Looking at the 12 signs and really looking at such a like nuanced in-depth way that you have a personal relationship to and, like sometimes I'll just watch little kids and I'll try to sort of guess their sun, moon and rising. I know nothing about yeah. them, just sort of watching their innate behavior, you know, like yeah. really, you know, so many people ask me as well, like, how do I study astrology? Where do I look? How do I look at my own chart? Look outside, look exactly. in the kitchen cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is how I sort of started. And, you know, when I was sort of starting out as a professional astrologer, you know, now it's almost been 
a decade, but you know, it's been in my life since I was a little kid. And that's how I played with it as a kid. You know, I had that DK, that Parker's astrology book with that, those color pages where it just had like the colors and the plants and the objects. And I just went on like a treasure hunt and was like, this is the stuff of this is the stuff of life. So how can I access the experience of, you know, Leo and like biting into a really ripe fruit and having juice kind of come down my face, you know, and being really close to the skin of that object and the exuberance of that, or, you know, it's like, you can play. It's like when you learn a new language and then you go around your apartment or your house or your city and you translate for yourself. And it's like, you can play that way with astrology. You go out and you're like, okay, that stranger walking down the street, what's that? That like leaf blowing down the street, that like pigeon that, you know, like, and sort of identify and rename these through the lens of these archetypes, because it's not apart from us, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of everything that exists inside of us and around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the treasure hunt analogy. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yesterday I was climbing and there was this little dog and it had like a really proud chest. And I was like, it's a tiny, <laughs> tiny dog. And I was like, it's a Leo. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then I asked, <laughs> I asked the owner and the owner was like, oh yeah, eight, eight is his birthday. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I mean, it's, it's very, well, I can't really say anything about it. We, I don't know where it's going at this point, but um, just hold that image in your mind of, of the, that dog's astrology as potentially informing a new project that I'm working on. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, uh, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but, uh, yeah, pets might be a part of it. (laughs) Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, obviously I'm obsessed with astrology, but I know my dog's chart and (laughs) yeah. What's your dog's chart? Yeah. What's going on? Gemini. Oh man. Yeah. She's super alpha or super loving. Nothing in between. Nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't get along with many people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, It's awesome. Yeah. And I think that even looking at your pets can be, um, you know, or animals around you can be really interesting too. I mean, as with all of this energy, but it's like, you know, we don't always know like the date and time and place birth of our pet, you know, but again, this is not to, you know, I have to walk a fine line because I'm not saying like, just scrap your birth chart, just play with the energies. Cause I think really knowing the specificity of you first can be really helpful in kind of understanding how these archetypes work. And then, you know, at people out in your environment, but there's a certain point where you start to play and you're like, okay, all right, you know, I've got five planets in Aries. That's sort of what I came in as. There's a saturation point, but this lifetime is about inviting, you know, the other 11 friends like into the party room. And so it's like, how can we sort of observe qualities, you know, just like we would pull a tarot card. It's not like we pull a tarot card out of the deck and we're like, oh, the tower, it's it for life. Like never, you know, I'm never going to pull another card. I'm done, like one and done. We pull cards constantly in the same way we're in conversation constantly with these archetypes as they live inside of us. And it's like, what do I need today? Or what am I seeing today in this person? You know, am I seeing Gemini energy, you know, regardless of their chart? Am I seeing that I might like to invite a little Gemini energy into my day, you know, and being able to sort of create a proprietary, you know, blend for yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's a great point too. And I know we're like geeking out in the play space, but a deep understanding of really key aspects in your own chart, you know, that you really are, you know, in your mind, you know, how you behave in public with them. You know, there's a a sense of through line awareness of how you're organized. 
Yeah. yeah. And then that richness like never stops. I mean, I've been looking at my charts since I was like eight years old and like, damn, if it didn't take me like, you know, almost 40 years to even see, like, I remember a couple of years ago, I was like, how is Chiron squaring my moon? I never, I didn't think anything was aspecting the moon. It was like, I've been looking at the same chart for 40 years now or whatever. And like, there will always be things sort of popping to be revealed, to be, you know, even if your chart, even if you just started with like one aspect of your chart or one, you know, seeing like what your eye goes to or what, where you're energetically drawn, you could work that and excavate that for, you know, years and years. It doesn't need to be that you have to like immediately grasp all of the interlocking pieces. It's just like go in for one thing and start there, you know, wherever your eye goes, wherever you feel energetically attracted to, you know, there'll be time for all sorts of other things to pop out that you didn't even understand, like were there hiding in plain sight, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super powerful and potent. And also, maybe because I have so much mutable energy in my chart, but sometimes when I feel burnout, I love to go look back at my chart and then say, well, what other personality aspects, choices, situations can I exalt that I maybe haven't really been working with or bringing forward in my daily activities or in my mind stream? Because I, you know, like, just like you said at the beginning, we all have the full zodiac and access to it. So if we're sort of just pimping out certain parts of us, like for me, it's the Pisces Virgo access. Sometimes I'm like, honey, we got to get off that. Access. Yeah. Get off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pimping out the parts. Yeah. I've been pimping out my Leo moon for years and years. And, you know, this Saturn aspect of this transit that's been awakening, you know, different aspects of how I use that. It's like, whoa, we got to be a full person. You know, we got to like rely on some other archetypes for a while or some, even some other aspects of that same archetype, you know, because Mm -hmm. we could, we could even excavate all the prismatic possibilities inside of one sign. You know, it's a very, it's taking a very mutable, you know, mutable approach to, you know, each sign and really rotate it. You know, what parts of it haven't you really gotten into, you know, you could be working with just your sun sign. Not that, you know, I mean, there's just too much fun stuff in there just to be working with your sun sign, but like, you know, you could be working with your basic sign archetype for the rest of your days and never get to the bottom of the well, you know, in terms of being able to rotate it and seeing it in nuance. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're writing now and what you're working on? Just give us some hints. Well, um, I've just got some, I've got some things percolating that haven't, um, that are on like the crest. I feel like I'm in a very, I'm sitting on a pile right now, very cancer new moon style. Mm-hmm. So, um, you've got I a few have, choices as well. We've I'm got gathering. a few choices. Yeah. There's a few choices. Um, there's some things out in the ether that I'm not sure, like whether they're going to be able to come, come into earthly form, <laughs> come earth side or not. Um, but, um, but one thing that I have really been, um, well, two things I've, I've been really um, sort of working through energetically in my mind, uh, well, in my whole, my whole body, not just my mind, but um, the first has been to really um, bring forward some work around the tarot and the connections between tarot and astrology, because I really think that there is kind of the splitting that sometimes happens when we use the practice of tarot versus how we orient ourselves toward a chart. And, you know, this kind of feeling of like, oh, you know, 
I think to a lot of people, tarot maybe feels a little bit more accessible because it feels like, okay, I mean, obviously there's 78 cards and there's certain kind of card archetypes and meanings, you know, but it feels a little bit more immediately like, okay, I take out some cards, I play around, I make a spread, I see what's here. You know, I'm sort of tapped into my own kind of knowing around some of these things. And I think there can be a lot more fear for a lot of people who are just starting out to see a chart because it feels so much more, you know, technical or impenetrable. And there's all sorts of historical garbage around why I think that that has been presented the way it is. But Mm -hmm. I've really been thinking about, um, you know, doing some work around the intersections between tarot and astrology to sort of demystify, you know, both practices, but to make them kind of a hybridized practice. Because, you know, when I read charts, often I'll, I mean, I go, I'll, I'll go way off off road and do the things that I was sort of describing to you earlier, where I just sort of sense into what the archetypes are that this, you know, that this person needs in this moment. But I'll also, I'll also lean on the tarot and tarot archetypes where I'm sort of like, I'm really starting to feel into like, okay, you know, Sue's moon in Pisces, you know, I might pull out, you know, the, the, um, Hermit. uh, the, or um, now I'm getting all like, uh, I'll pull out, you know, the, the moon card, you know, which rules Pisces and the high priestess, which rules the moon and, you know, maybe the hermit for Virgo rising. And I'll start to just sort of like see how these energies are collide or use these kinds of visual inspirations. And so, yeah, I've been percolating some more work around a tarot astrology sort of hybrid um, kind of teaching and learning model. Um, And also just sort of like, a more kind of emotional, um, guttural, you know, whatever. I, I hesitate to use the word intuitive, but yeah, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of intuitive approach to learning astrology too, um, that really kind of leans on the the tones and the textures of the signs and demystifies some of the um, the way that we can kind of approach charts through that and to sort of strip away a lot of the armature that I think astrology has had to kind of like or felt like it's had to sort of arm it stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're just in a a point now where it's like, we got to break that, you know, break that binary. Cause it's like astrology was total, totally in the realm of sort of the witchy, almost beyond religion, you know, this really out there kind of faith-based, you know, do you believe in astrology quote unquote? And then it went way into this other, you know, post enlightenment sort of like prove it, you know, our bodies are water, you know, this is the degree of this. And now I think we're in this hybridizing moment where it's really, you know, we're thinking about new models for sort of feeling into it. So that's, yeah, I'll say pets. I can't say more about pets, but I'll say, yeah, I'll say pets, um, some tarot astrology and some more sort of emotionally guided guttural, you know, responses to sort of learning astrology and learning how to read a chart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the emotional guttural space for astrology. (laughs) I feel like that would actually give so much embodied information and you're so adjective friendly that you could could give so much like, oh yeah, I feel that. I see that. I hear that. I am that. Oh, I'm not that. Oh, that's upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's this kind of, yeah, this kind of way of just sort of, um, Yeah. I mean, again, not to, it's like, we can't get to the improv jazz before we like obviously Mm -hmm. learn some of the basics about how the instrument works, but, you know, to not come into the space where we're like over relying on the instrument, you know, overly relying on the instrumentation or like the symphonics or the, I've got to make this, you know, or I've got to understand every single, you know, where we can just sort of like mess around. Cause like, what are we doing here? Other than, I mean, obviously we have moments of knowing and moments of greater connection, but we're all just 
sort of messing around, smearing around with these energies and, you know, to be able to kind of try them on in a way that feels much more expansive and portable and, you know, accessible to anyone, you know, regardless of how much time they can spend studying or, you know, like this feeling like that we have to, you know, earn, earn our right to enter into the knowledge of astrology. And it's like, no, it's just inside you and all around you already. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a perfect organic stopping point. You know, obviously I'll talk to you all day, any day. Yeah. Right, so thank you, you for being, <laughs> being in this space with me. I really appreciate it. And so does the whole Live Lightly community. So thank you so much for this wonderful conversation, Bess. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for listening to the Live Lightly podcast. If you loved this episode, please download and subscribe please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you and your main takeaways from this episode. Tag us on Instagram and Facebook at LiveLightly underscore. We will then reshare your takeaways and insights. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information and education only. Live Lightly is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.